who can't JavaScript good and want to learn to do other things good too. That was the original tagline, which I really like. Um, so I'm Tori Rice, and with me is Nick Nisi. Hello. And Neil Roberts. I'm just happy to be here. I'm happy you're here too, buddy. Thanks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I liked that uh, we gave out our Twitter uh, handles because someone actually found me last time. Uh, after yeah, the me last too. One. I, really? Yeah. That's all. Well, I'm less surprised they found you. Yours is not hard to spell. I don't pay attention, so I don't know. Oh, Neil. I message you on Twitter all the time. I can check. That's true. But, um, yeah, so, uh, of course, SitePen is at SitePen, S-I-T-E-P-E-N. Uh, and then my personal one is at iTory, the letter I-T-O-R-R-E-Y. And Nick, you're at McNeesey, N-I-S-I, and Neil, disturbingly again at potted meat uh, i would just like to add a caveat that i never envisioned anyone ever reading anything i tweet um so i don't even know what i've ever said so if you go back and you find stuff i like to write jokes um and i'm terrified now that people might look at it i just like to retweet and then i can say that someone else said that not yeah me. yeah you're like i didn't say that that was donald <laughs> trump that was yeah. not me yeah i don't believe those things but you just endorsed him well, maybe in this case are there are there communal rules about how twitter is supposed to be interpreted i have absolutely I have no idea in your you have to have in your uh in your description that the tweets are your own right that's I'll the just, legal i'll just type J, jk every now and then <laughs> winky face <laughs> just so people know um so i to the show notes i'm going to add in nick's desk because it's oh, no. terrifying. <laughs> oh my god, I couldn't even. There's a screwdriver on your desk and a PS4 <laughs> game under. There's two soda cans. There's piles of. I, I don't even understand, dude. I was installing these Z-Wave switches last night in my office, and so it's a total mess. Yeah, that's that's pretty crazy. <laughs> what are you doing with the Z-Wave? Uh, I am making. I have a. I bought a smart hub a smart things hub i guess uh and i'm connecting everything or some starting to connect things to it so that i can control things from my phone turn things off when i leave um do things like that because i the biggest annoyance i have is leaving lights on and my wife doesn't know how to turn lights off so <laughs> this will solve that once and for all well i should get that since i have kids and they also yeah. do not know how to turn lights off huh that is interesting. I, I does it like? But don't they have to kind of stay on all the time? Like the switch physically has to stay on or something? Yeah, the switch has electricity in it now. It's always on. Like the light is off in my office right now, but there's a little LED on the switch now that's on, telling me that the light is off. And when I turn the light on, that turns off. That is confusing. Um, I can switch that around to make the LED. But I don't understand. On. So like, how do you get out of the habit of just like walking to a room and flipping the switch? Oh, I can. It's a it's a regular switch too, so I can just push the button, and that works. Or it keeps track of like the hub is connected to my phone, and when my phone leaves the network, then it knows that I'm away, and it can shut things off. 
or I can set schedules or do other things or but it can't turn really, it can't turn things on if the switch is off, right? Oh, it can. Oh, it can. But yeah, the switch is actually, and I didn't know this until I actually got one. The switch has like it's one of those large switches where I don't I don't know what to call them the the big paddle switches. And um, we'll go with big paddle switch that works. There that we go. Right. <laughs> when you push the button, it it just like toggles it. It doesn't it, like if you push at the top, it turns it on, but it doesn't actually like change, like flip on. So you just push it like you can just push it and then push it again, and it's not actually like changing uh, the state of the button at all, the physical state of the button. Okay. Well, now I'm sold. Now I'm, yeah, now I'm sold because <laughs> that was my biggest concern. I think some of the early stuff, it was like, well, if you turn it off, you can actually operate it. I don't know if it was oh, a yeah. brand or something. I remember it was a couple of years ago I was reading about this stuff, and I was all sold because I'm like, cool, I want to automate my house because I'm a nerd. And then I read that, and I'm like, well, that sounds really frustrating. So, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, so, anyway, uh, we should probably just go through, too, uh, what we're going to talk about today. Um, so, I need to pay off on the fantasy football story because I actually realized when so – I didn't realize until somebody – found me on Twitter and said, hey, you never finished your story because we just started talking about stuff and, and just kind of went from there. <laughs> so I never I never paid off on what I actually ended up doing. Um, and we're going to talk about, um, I, I found a I found an odd bug in Zerb's foundation download page. Um, and this is just kind of one of those, kind of one of those times where you, you find a bug and you, you, it takes you a while to realize where the bug's coming from. Um, Neil's going to tell us about uh, TVJS for Apple TV. And Nick, are you really going to tell us about Tmux and El Capitan Woes? Isn't that related to Vim? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I just, <laughs> I assumed, I assumed there would be a Vim section here. So, um, <laughs> okay. Uh, but if we get some time, we'll talk maybe a little bit about Grease Monkey and uh, JavaScript extensions, since that kind of tied in with what we were talking about last week. Yeah. Um, so, just to to the fantasy football thing. Um, firstly, I just like to say that this uh, podcast is brought to you by DraftKings.com. Uh, DraftKings, <laughs> if you uh, you can turn you can turn five dollars into a million billion dollars uh, with DraftKings.com. Um, this week, I actually played uh, Neil Roberts and uh, and uh, Brian Forbes and David Walsh. And uh, they actually wrote more lines of code than the guy I was playing against. So I cashed out on my DraftKings bet. Um, so I'm really excited. So just go to DraftKings.com and type in the promo code. Oh my God! Seriously, can we stop with these ads? Um, and you'll also get eight billion dollars. That's that's DraftKings.com. That's yeah. DraftKings.com. I made a million dollars last week on there. Yeah, I did too. Yeah. But on FanDuel. Oh, you do? Yeah. See, mm. you know what? I don't like Fan. I, I, so FanDuel has like I think it's like half uh, PPR or whatever, and like I think DraftKings is full PPR, and there's no kicker. Um, you know, but when Can it comes to PPR is yeah, it's points per reception. Um, oh. Or it depends though, because you know they do different games, right? So in this case, uh, JavaScript engineering, it's actually like points per semicolon. Yeah. Um, and that's an interesting one because you really got to know who you're picking up because if you're someone who's like writing a lot of Jade templates, you're not going to have a lot of those, you know, semicolons and stuff, right? Or um, if you believe in automatic uh, semicolon insertion, yes, you leave some out. Yeah, or or if you do Coffee Script. Mm. So you know, you really got to pick who you're going to play because you know. So I actually picked someone with a with a high amount of errors uh, in Neil, yeah. uh, which is how I ended up cashing out. So. 
Um, anyway, so my fantasy football, I, I hate listening to fantasy football podcasts because like every four minutes there's a DraftKings or FanDuel uh, thing and now they've integrated them into their shows. So like they'll just like start talking about how the price of someone on FanDuel or on DraftKings and it's just like, oh my gosh, I don't care. Um, it's not real fantasy football. It's not gambling. It's just betting on the outcome of a sporting event with money. It's not gambling. Not that I care about gambling. It's just funny that they take that stance and it's not gambling. Um, all right, so I, I ended up on the fantasy football thing. I was making this extension for uh, this league I'm in and this terrible site they use. And uh, one of the things I ended up doing was <laughs> locally using um, EJS to compile various templates using Webpack that kind of just like packages all this stuff together to swap out templates because I was doing, as I was kind of talking about last time, is I was, I was doing a lot of template strings um, in, in the code. Um, and it was really messy because I just wanted to like modify the page, but I was doing all this HTML in the JavaScript. And that's when I was like, I really need to look for a, you know, a templating solution, which led into the whole template discussion we had. Um, but I ended up just using EJS and, and uh, it compiled it. Like it grabs the, the files and compiles them into the strings. Um, and I know Dojo has something that we, I could have used, but since the site was already using jQuery, I just was using that. So it just kind of made sense to just grab this kind of server side, for, or, you know, not like server side, but like this local development piece. And then, you know, it creates this for the extension. It just interns all the strings. So that was, that's what I ended up doing there. And no, I didn't finish it because I'm busy and it's a lot of work. Like I thought it would be really easy to just make this stuff look better. And I'm also, as I mentioned before, a bit of a perfectionist and I, I don't want to release it till it's perfect. So of course I'm never going to release it at this point. So the season will be over by the time we get done with it. Um, so that's that. Thank you very much to, I got to pull up my Twitter. See, I didn't even, I didn't prepare. Um, to Steve Gorley uh, for pointing out that I didn't actually pay off on that, which was great. I was excited because when I do this, I don't really think much about who's, you know, anyone actually listening. So it was really exciting that the first time someone responds. So thank you. Um, and if you, if anyone wants to ask questions, you can, you can do that in Twitter and we will maybe do a, a question and answer section sometime. That'd be Sounds fun. fun. Oh yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. And that's the question's like really weird, and then that'd be really fun. Yeah. <laughs> Which when you have uh, when you have young kids, every question is really weird. And now my daughter's on this thing where I don't know. Someone at school said she's uh, she's turning four soon. Someone said something about dying, um, and now she says stuff me stuff like, "Daddy, I'm gonna miss you when you're dead." It's <laughs> so morbid. It's so creepy. I'm gonna miss you when you pass away. I'm just like, are these, are these failed threats? It's good to hear. (laughs) I guess that's a good point. Daddy, are you going to die? Daddy, is this your last (laughs) birthday? I'm like, I don't know. And no one knows, but you can't really say that to a kid because then they say, wait, wait, what do you mean? No one knows. What do you mean? I could die tomorrow (laughs) anyway. Okay. So I want to talk about that. I had a really annoyingly fun problem that really was super simple once I realized what was happening, but this goes to those things where you never really know what your problem is when you're debugging something. Um, sometimes you run across those weird problems and it takes you forever to find that it was the most simple thing. 
Um, and then you're like, why didn't I just look there first? I was so dumb. But um, I was I was working on um, uh, some stuff here for for our website, and uh, we use a like a, a custom made um, grid solution from a few years ago. But I really when we're, we're refreshing the site and we've actually updated some pages, but I really wanted to do like a, a more full re refresh and make it really you know, fully responsive. Um, and I didn't really want to do, like I know that grids are like not hard to do and we have, you know, the stuff there in place to do it. But I like the idea that perhaps using an off the shelf grid system, um, because then anyone can just, you know, like go and read about how to use it if they want to update the site or things, you know, they don't have to, know every little quirk and plus someone's already done all the work right so why reinvent the wheel even if the wheel is not very hard to invent um so i went to i i'm kind of a fan of uh, foundation uh by zerb and so i went to their download page and and i downloaded like i did a custom download where i uncheck everything and just get like the couple of things that i need right and i started i started working on this page and it was almost working but there were some really really weird quirks like you would go to do something and it wouldn't resize properly. And like, I mean, some things would, but some things wouldn't. It was very bizarre, right? So of course I'm thinking, well, it's probably, you know, something I screwed up, right? So I'm like writing all these selectors and like doing all this stuff. And I'm like, why, like it should not be doing this, right? Like it didn't occur to me until I spent most of my day just kind of hacking around stuff. Because like I said, it mostly worked. It's just in these weird spots. And the more I hacked around these things, the more I started to think, this isn't right that I'm hacking around these things, right? Like a row should be a max width. So like there's a max width on a row, but that wasn't being set properly. And I'm just like, this doesn't make any sense. So I finally go and I, I did the, the, the smart thing of looking at the source of where the rules were coming from. And at first I didn't even notice it. And then because I would, but I finally went to the inspector, right? And I click and I see, buried down, you know, 20 rows dirt, you know, 20 things deep there, that there was something being set to 23 or 64, whatever, RREM. So not REM units, RREM. And of course it errors that out, right? Now, I'm like... Can you explain what those are? <laughs> uh, REM units? And RREM. Okay, so RREM is invalid. Um REM is like EMs, but they're, uh, I think that it's relative to the root of the, um, of the document. So if you have, if your base font is 16 pixels, um, when you're, when you're using, uh, M's inside of a container, when you say like one M it's the, it's the font size of that container. The, the inherited size. Right, right. So if you want to have a consistent, like all of my paragraphs should be, you know, 0 0.9 M's. Well, as soon as you start changing the, 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 the size of the content on different blocks, then 0 0.9 starts to mean different values. Um, so then Rem, and if I'm, I'm probably using all the wrong words cause I don't remember all the words that I'm supposed to use, but basically like, so then a Rem is relative to the base font size, if I understand that correctly. So it'll okay. always be the same. But now gotcha. RM is not a thing. And, and that's what I didn't realize. I 
was like, wow, am I really behind? And no, no. What... <laughs> no, you see, that's the thing is that's what I first thought. I'm like, oh, like I, it must be some other unit, right? Like I, I just didn't really think about it. And plus our RAM, when you're kind of just like glancing through code, like it doesn't stand out as wrong. You see RAM, right? Like you don't really see the double R. It was only until I finally found it. I finally found it happening on a breakpoint that was set. I went and looked at you know, the inspector and I start and I see, okay, this is aired out, but why? And it took me a little while to even see that it's aired out because our oh, rem, it's like value is not correct. I'm just like, what are you talking about? So of course, you know, I blame myself first and I start thinking that I, I start searching our rem, right? I'm like, what is this? And there's nothing. So finally I just realized I'm like, okay, so this code is chock full of our rem everywhere. This foundation code that I got. But why? Like, that shouldn't be. So I went and downloaded, like, you know, instead of doing a custom build, I just downloaded uh, the full build and just grabbed out the file I wanted. And it worked. So I, I didn't really think much of it. I'm just like, I thought, well, maybe something got mangled. Like, maybe I did a search and replace, even though I know I didn't. Or maybe I did something where maybe Git, like, messed it up, right? Like, maybe I committed it or something and something got mangled in a merge. Like, you know, even though it was only me working on it. Like, just whatever. Okay, I don't know what happened. Um, well, a couple days later, I was... Uh, I, I don't remember why. I went back to the page. And, oh, yeah, I wanted to add something. Because like I said, I did a custom build, right? I did a custom thing on their website where you can choose what you want. Um, so I, I go there and I, I click around again and I choose the few more things that I wanted to add. And again, I start seeing this problem. So finally, I, I just message them. It was probably midnight. I messaged on Twitter. I'm like, am I insane or is there like something broken with your builds? Right? <laughs> and I get a response <laughs> next morning of like, nope, it looks fine to us. So now I had to do some digging. And what I found out was that there's some, what appeared to be some JavaScript that um, because on the foundation download page, you can uh, set, you can change like how many columns you want for the grid, right? So when you do this custom download, you can change what's the max width. So you can say, I want it to be 48 RAM or I want it to be, you know, 56 or whatever. Like you can make these changes yourself. And then when you click download, it builds based on these variables, right? Um, well, there was some kind of code that when you clicked it, did some validating. And what was happening, though, is that you would click the download and then it would validate those. But then it would add in the value rem to the input field. So but this would happen after you click download. So the download would already start. But now if you go back there and it's the page is still open and you're like, oh, I wanted inline lists also. So you click that and you click it, you know, click to generate again. It was basically screwing up the inputs. So now it's it's building that you want you don't want a 65 rem breakpoint. You want a 65 r rem breakpoint. Does that make sense? Like it was it was updating the input field to actually have the letter r in it. Oh, okay. And then pulling that in and using that to build its CSS that it gives you. Um, so anyway, I took a video of that and sent it to them and they fixed it in like an hour and that was awesome. But it was one of those, just one of those frustrating bugs where you don't really think you think it's you and it, and it turns out not to be, um, that's, that's all I wanted to say that sometimes you just, <laughs> sometimes you spend all day on a problem that turns out to be completely ridiculous like that. I have a bug of the week too. Oh, let's hear it. Oh, my, my favorite thing from this week is that I, uh, I was running into this problem where if I used a keyboard shortcut, it was skipping some cells. I was working on a, on a table grid. And I put in a, a debugger. It took me a while just to get 
that far to where I could put a debugger in because it was all compiled and everything. And I put that in and I uh, clicked through the code and traced all of the different branches and just everything was working the way it was supposed to. The stuff I didn't know about, I did research to make sure that uh, what I thought it should do was actually what it should do. And I just spent forever on it uh, to the point where I realized that it was all correct and then it must be something else. Uh, and then uh, the next time I ran it, I clicked the little play uh, to where it hits a breakpoint again and realized that it was actually hitting that uh, spot, the exact same spot in code twice. So I was running into this problem where the block of code that I was debugging was actually just being called twice. <laughs> so the so, code worked, it's just doing it twice. Doing it twice. So it wasn't skipping certain rows, it was just moving twice nice. through certain rows. Uh, and the, the, the thing that really tripped me up is that the, the number of uh, columns was odd. So it, I, I didn't really notice that it was skipping some because it would stop before it reached the end of the table. Nice. That, very, those are fun. So, so the, that's the a couple hours you'll never get back. That was, it was a long time. Just because I, uh, I was, it wasn't just that, that I was debugging. I was debugging like uh, attributes that it was assigning on certain cells and making sure that those were real attributes the way that they were supposed to be used. So it was a lot of, a lot of messing around with stuff before I realized it was just being called twice. Yeah, that's, that's the most fun about uh, when you're doing consulting work and you're trying to fix things and then you run into a problem like that and it's like, well, this problem, you, you have a pretty good understanding that it's this other thing and then it turns out, no, it's not that at all. Like, yeah. It's completely it's, ridiculous and trivial. It's so, it's so hard to get rid of assumptions when you're debugging stuff. Like, it, You almost need to sit down when you start debugging something and just write down the list of things that you're assuming. And then figure out if any of those are wrong and then start debugging. Yeah, I always assume I don't need to do that. That's my first, <laughs> that's my first bad assumption. Well, it's no, like I, I, absolutely. I either assume something's my fault or I assume it's not my fault. And those always turn out to be the opposite of what they should be. Yeah, absolutely. Like I took, you know how long I sat there before I pressed the tweet button to, to message serve. Like I could have done that right off the bat, right? But yeah. like. I didn't have any proof that that's what it was. And so I was pretty sure it was just me. Like, I'm pretty sure I was doing something stupid. And then you go through every checkpoint. It's like, nope. Okay, let's check the other assumption that it is them. Okay, that was the faster assumption to have checked first, right? <laughs> like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Do you have a bug of the week, Nick? Oh, um, that would imply that I did something this week. <laughs> hey, I, I work um, on a project with you. I know you did something. Yeah, I did something. He's actually just um, really good. He's like, what are you guys talking about? I don't have any, yeah. <laughs> like, bugs. I, I don't have any specific bugs. I mean, I guess I, not with that code, but with my development environment, if we want to move into that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I like to live on the bleeding edge. And uh, I actually gave a talk last week, uh, just a quick lightning talk uh, about NeoVim. And that is alpha software. And so that is the bleeding edge that I'm running in Tmux, or I'm sorry, I'm running in, yeah, inside of Tmux, uh, and then running that inside of iTerm 2 uh, version 3 beta, or I'm actually running the nightly version of that. What are, what are those things? <laughs> uh, iTerm is a terminal emulator for OS X. Um, it's better than terminal in a lot of ways, I think. 
Uh, I always wonder why I need it, and then I try and switch back over to, to Terminal and can't ever... I used iTerm like 10 years ago, and I started to wonder why I needed it, and I, it turns out I don't. That was There's before. Things... I think it was before you could actually do tabs in terminal, though. I think that was the only reason I used it back in the day. Oh yeah. So I use that, and I use Tmux, which is a terminal multiplexer, so I can have multiple terminal sessions and, and split panes and multiple windows. That's kind of how I do my set up my development workflow. Now I have like one window in Tmux per project I'm working on. So if I'm like working on Dojo, I have a Dojo window and a Degrade window and. Uh, a customer project window, things like that. And then I have multiple splits in there where I might run the development server if it needs that, uh, have NeoVim running in a uh, much larger split, and then do different things like that. But I'm running all of this. So I'm running iTerm 2, version 3 beta, or nightly. Um, and I just upgraded to El Capitan. So very early adopter of that, I suppose, too. And it turns out that there is actually... A problem that I struggled with for a while where I could work like a whole day, but if I ever disconnected from Tmux, this is what it ended up being. If I ever disconnect from Tmux, then the whole system just freezes completely, and then I end up having to do a hard reset to get back to anything. And so I didn't know if it was iTerm having the problem, so I switched back to a regular iTerm for a while. Um, switch, tried to switch to Terminal to see if that fixed it. Tried to switch back to uh, Vim instead of NeoVim. That didn't fix it. Tried to upgrade NeoVim to the latest master. That didn't work. And it ended up being Tmux. I found a, a uh, bug or an issue on their GitHub uh, where other people were having this problem. That you even yeah. tracked it down to that and didn't assume it was a hardware problem is interesting. Yeah. Because I would have uh, immediately been like, oh, you know, it's a hardware issue or something going on here. So Jason, another uh, another developer here at SitePen, also uses kind of a, the same setup. And he was saying that he was having problems. I don't know if, if he ever said he was having identical problems like that. But he said that he switched to the master branch of Tmux and ran that, and it seemed to be fine. And uh, so I tried that, and the problems went away, which is all good. But there are a few quirks running uh, in the the master version, and so I posted that on the the GitHub issue for um, the Tmux crashing thing, and uh, they came back and said that they're doing a few things differently, which might end up causing the causing the problem to not be as noticeable. But it's not a problem with them; it's a problem with LCAP, and so that's kind of where I am right now. Wow! I can kind of run the the latest Tmux, and it doesn't crash things, but I'm just kind of sitting on the bleeding edge hoping that I don't get cut. <laughs> wow, you sure do like to live dangerously. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But yeah, I gave a talk on, on NeoVim last week, and this I hadn't figured out that it was Tmux at that time, so I was really worried about talking about it and demoing it and just having everything crash. Like, you should use Vim. It's the greatest thing. I mean, my systems crash. That's a, it, it happens because it doesn't matter why. Shut up, everybody. I hate you all. Oh, yeah, that system freeze. Ignore that. Ignore that. That's normal. That's normal. It's fine. It's fine. Just, you know, a, a, a reboot. It gets, you know, it's a good thing. Take a break, you know. It includes memory <laughs> optimization code. <laughs> 
Alice Abdio, you wanted to tell us about TVJS for Apple TV. Yeah, just... Uh, well, too bad uh, you can't. Ah, uh, no. Okay, go ahead. Fine. Oh, just... Uh, I mean, I don't know too much about the TVOS stuff because it's not really out yet or anything like that. Um, but in uh, JavaScript Weekly this week, there was an article about um, uh, TVML, uh, which is what they use to display all of their uh, screens on the Apple TV. Uh, and you can actually uh, control it using a DOM-like API with JavaScript. Uh, and it's got kind of a lot of the stuff that you would expect. It's got local storage. Uh, it's got uh, DOM querying. Uh, it's got events. Uh, and it's got XML HTTP requests, too. So it's it seems to be pretty interesting. Uh, I can't well, think well, of, a, of a good app for it. I was just going to say, I was like, as much as it's interesting, a lot of times I was just like, what would I ever build? Like, I guess I could do a podcast, uh, a site pen TV app. Like, yeah. I don't really know. And you could just, or maybe I could do it where it would be a site pen TV app, but you could just like live look in on Nick putting up tinfoil over his windows. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's really nice, though, is they seem to have like 20 or so different widgets that do different things. They have like a rating, uh, like a star rating widget and uh, artwork display and stuff like that. So uh, it seems like with, if you learn TVML and then just use a little bit of JavaScript, it seems like you can do a pretty complicated app uh, that isn't too difficult without having to know uh, a ton of Swift or anything like that. Yeah. That was, was really interesting that they did that. I, I mean, I, I wasn't kind of wasn't expecting it to be Something yeah, I'm really, I was rather surprised space. actually that it's that that is the way it is because, like you said, I, I would expect that it would all be, you know, like native Swift apps, yep. um, just like you would do for a normal iOS app. And so it's kind of surprising that that's not the the route they went. Um, I just wonder why. Like it just seems like I mean it's I think, cool, but I, I think don't it's get because it. their um, their display system is based on JavaScript and X and the TV uh, ML stuff that they have. It seems. Is it to be, true that it doesn't have a like a web view though? So you can't actually. It doesn't have display a display web, web content. Yeah, it doesn't have something where you can display web content. But, I mean, it, this is. I, well, isn't there some sort of like JavaScript? I, I bet there is. I'm just you know I was just gonna make a joke that there was probably someone who'll write a browser in JavaScript, and then <laughs> I'm like I should Google that, and I think there is one. So, there is. There's Safari that can run inside of Safari. Awesome. I've seen that before. <laughs> Well, it's, it's uh, I mean, even though it's not a web browser, it still has a lot of the features of web browsers. I mean, apparently you can still use your JavaScript code. So that seems like a big deal. It's just got a different front end display. Gotcha. So, I mean, I, I think web engineers should be pretty happy with it. Wait, uh, was... web engineers being happy with something? <laughs> well, no. Compared, compared <laughs> no. to how they were complaining about it before, because there was a lot of hand wringing when... Uh, people heard that it wasn't going to have uh, a built-in web controller, but I mean, when you, what you end up with is something that most JavaScript engineers will know how to uh, implement what they want uh, yeah. using that system. I, I get that. I think that um, I'm going to reserve the right to continue hand-wringing <laughs> oh, because that's a thing. Like a good JavaScript engineer. Yeah, that I, I aspire to be one of those one day. And so I would like to continue to do that. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to. I don't need your permission either. Sounds good. Um, 
Cool. So I would just like to say um, that we have a little bit of time. And one of the things that I thought would be fun to do would be to have you guys teach me stuff because, as we've mentioned, I'm not a good developer. Um, I'm actually one of the people that I will make stuff work, um, but you don't want to deploy the stuff that I do. Um, and it's a good thing. That's, so just to be clear, that is not my job at SitePen. <laughs> I am a designer. So yep. when you hire us for development, like these guys who do development, they are very good at it and they make really good code. I know how to make code do stuff. Um, so I can code like in Framework.js, like I can make stuff happen, like, you know, stuff that's throwaway, but I'm not going to be writing client uh, code for anyone. Um, but I was uh, I was playing around with some stuff uh, because I like to keep up on the stuff that's been done for years. Um, so I was looking at AMD um, because, you know, why not? And one of the things I didn't really quite understand was like, what the define and require actually do. Like, I guess I understand a bit about like what require does, but like, what is define actually like doing when you when you create an AMD module and it's like define whatever? So I thought I'd throw a curveball question at you guys and make you tell me what it what it's doing. Yeah, that implies that we know. Yeah, this could this could be horribly <laughs> good on in flames here. What was I? So to give some history, I remember because I mean, I've been messing with. Uh, JavaScript libraries for 10, 12 years now. And I remember when we first, when they first started doing module stuff, um, the way that we kind of did it is there would be, you'd call like a function and it would uh, load a file in the background using uh, XML HTTP request using Ajax. What's that? What is that? Uh, using Ajax. Uh, and then it would uh, block code and poll to see if uh, some variable was set that matched the pattern of file that you were loading. And it was, that was a pretty crazy way to do things because it was, it was all synchronous and uh, kind of messy, but it kind of blew my mind at the time that you could do that sort of thing. And I, I found it to be very, very clever. Uh, and that was how, uh, even in old versions of Dojo, we did a lot of stuff. Um, I don't even remember the name of the functions we used. Uh, but they were, <laughs> it, it was, yeah, it was like a, probably similarly named to the AMD stuff. Um, and then eventually we figured out that we could use a callback function instead, uh, which makes things uh, quite a bit nicer. I don't know if Nick wants to pick up there. He's probably on the phone now. He's oh, like, okay. I got I got more important <laughs> people to call and talk to. So, What are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, hey, um, I just download and subscribe to this podcast. I do not listen. Exactly. <laughs> That basically writes the code for me. Um, I actually was making things. I told you. Things silent. So I. No, he wasn't making things silent. He was he was programming something into his phone so that when he <laughs> is on a podcast, it makes things silent. Just admit That's a it. Good idea. That is actually a good idea. <laughs> well, Neil, um, you're on your own, buddy. Nah, no, was, no. So where did where did you leave off? I, I was talking about up. the transition from. Uh, doing everything by synchronous loading statements uh, and moving towards a callback uh, that accepts the loaded uh, declarations. Oh, yeah. So that's what what AMD really does is it it does everything asynchronously, which is where it gets its name. So you can give it a script that it needs to load, and then it can um, 
inject that script into the page for you and you provide it with a callback, just like you do with any other asynchronous um, API that you use, you provide it with a callback and when that script gets loaded uh, and when all of its other dependencies get loaded, then it can execute that callback for you, providing everything as arguments to that callback so that you can uh, use things in other files without having to rely on global variables created everywhere uh, and polluting the global namespace. And um, so it makes it a lot cleaner for, for doing that. And it makes it fast for when you're, you're writing code in development because you can have things cleanly separated out and then just load in what you need. Uh, but then it also is a pretty easy API for a build tool to understand. So it can go get just the files that you need and concatenate them into a single file and then deliver that. So in the beginning of define, like the define function, um, you, you know, like the first parameter it takes is optional, but it would be a, good, uh, a package ID. Is that right? Yeah. Or module ID, I mean? Um, I think it's an, an array of module IDs. Okay. What is, what is that doing? Like what, what is that used for? Those are the, the scripts that you're going to be loaded. So they're, they're called modules. They exclude the extension, so you don't typically have .js on them. And they're um, paths that are relative to the uh, base URL or the package um, definition that you have in your, your AMD config. And really all that it's doing is taking those strings, converting them into an absolute URL to the um, resource that you need, so the JavaScript file that you need, and then injecting a script tag into the page for those, listening for when they get loaded, and then uh, call and, and then calling those back. So that's all it is. is really just a simplified way of providing uh, the scripts that you need to run the the script that you're currently working on. Is that how you'd define it, Neil? Yeah. I th and it, it's pretty. Some of the module stuff's pretty powerful to where you can uh, each each directory could point to a different place. It doesn't need to just be the base one. So it, I mean, it's it's meant to be very very flexible abstraction for file paths. Right. And uh, then can I ask the other question, which is why is there so much hate around various different kinds of packages? Like some people are like, oh, AMD is terrible. It's not the answer. It's awful. And others are like. No, no. I know it, the simple answer is because uh, that's how it works. But like, what are the, I guess, the tactical arguments? Because I hear those things, but I don't know. I don't understand. Like, they both, like, CommonJS and AMD both seem to work. Um, they have different uses, I guess. But like, why is the hate on AMD and other things? I would say that. Like, well, what's the drawback? Not, I, I'm not going to make you atone for other people's hate. What's <laughs> what are the things like? What are the technical merits to their point of view when you hear that? Like, oh, yeah, I wouldn't use AMD. Uh, there's a lot of boilerplate that goes around AMD. So you have to have a config file that that sets up your application, sets up what packages you're defining, um, and all of that, and then. When you actually define your modules, you have to use uh, the define keyword that we were just talking about and provide that array of module IDs as the first argument and then a callback as the second argument. And the arguments that are passed to the callback in the second argument have to be in the same order as the list of module IDs that you passed in the first argument. And so they match up uh, like that. And so if you go to delete 
modules, you have to delete them in two places, or delete dependencies, you'd have to delete them in two places, and there's just a lot of boilerplate around that. I can see that being... Um, yeah, I did find that pretty annoying, actually, myself. Yeah, it can introduce, yeah. it can introduce a lot of bugs. Yeah, like I would, I, I did the exact same thing where I was, I was using um, some AMD modules, and it was actually like I, I did like okay, I need to use Dojo Query and DOM Adder or whatever, right? So I put them in, and then it's like, oh no, this other thing needs this, the, you know, I need Node List or whatever. Like I needed something extra, right? And I was like, okay, and like I added it in, and then like everything stopped working, and it's like, what, what the hell happened? And it's like, oh. Because I added it here, but not over here. So now I'm out of order. So I'm trying to call what I think is, you know, DOM class, but I'm actually now calling, you know, node list because yeah. of the order I put it in. Um, so that was that was actually one of those more frustrating moments. And yeah, I kind of wondered. I'm like, why why is this so hard? Like, why can't it just be like simple? I guess theoretically, you could add some uh, error checking in there, but if you enforce certain rules, like making sure that the variable is named similarly to the end of its module path because you can extract functions as strings and and look at them like that so something could be done yeah definitely yeah like i get i get that there's probably like a really good reason why like not just technical right there's probably like good reasons why you'd want to have it you know in the order that you put it in and keep it i don't know what this would be though but it's it's nice having the flexibility of naming things however you want uh but yeah there's there's that cost to it as well Yep. And I, I think that, I mean, that's one of the biggest complaints, like when I go uh, to workshops and such, um, is, is the boilerplate around it. Um, there's a lot to it. Whereas if you are more familiar with CommonJS and using node modules, um, there's less boilerplate. You just say var and you give it a name, you can name it whatever you want still. And then you just say equals require and give it the module that you want to bring in and it will just bring it in and assign it to that variable. And that's nice too. It's a lot less code, but it's also, um, in my opinion, like there's some magic that's going on around that, right? Cause you, it looks like it's a synchronous action, but it's not really, it's actually going to pause and wait for the code to run or the code to load in before it actually executes your script. So there's, there's a little bit of magic happening in the, the background for that. Well, then it just doesn't also become a kind of a question of, you know, what kind of performance trade-offs are you willing to make for the complexity, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I find that uh, I like to over-engineer stuff just like the rest of them. Um, <laughs> because, you know, sometimes you're like, well, I want to do this. And a perfect example is I was helping a friend with the, with the site. And um, I was like, oh, yeah, if you, like, take this graphic and you want, they, oh, they want to animate it. And I was like, well, I mean, look at the best way to do that. Well, it turns out that the best way to do that is not as simple and straightforward. But this is a hundred ways to do it to animate something that's super simple. Um, but there was some other constraints involved, and I was like, "Well, if we use like this SVG, right? Well, then it's like, okay, I don't really want to just, you know, so I don't want to put the SVG in the page, but it needs to be like you need to actually you can't do like you know an image tag because then you can't manipulate the SVG." you know the elements so you, know, you start to get into all these things where it's the simplest thing that you start layering on more complex things because now you need to have something that will like you know take the contents of the file and spit it into the page when you actually load it and then something that manipulates that which you need to pull in this thing or that thing or this library and you know suddenly you've 
you're like, well, if we're doing all this, we might as well switch to this because this makes it go faster. And then you end up realizing that you've just complicated a one page site for somebody <laughs> to do something that is like not that hard. Um, Cool. Okay. Well, I thank you um, both for for explaining that to me. Um, I'm gonna have more questions. Did we like really this. explain the difference between require and define, though? Uh, is not there's not much. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Like I, I, you know what? You're absolutely right. We want to define. Um, so I guess what's the difference between require and define? So require. Oh, do you want to take this, Neil? No. Go ahead. Um, require. The, the biggest difference, if you if you look at the two APIs, is, um, well, aside from the keyword require and define, uh, is that define actually needs to return something. Require doesn't need to. And whatever is returned from define is what will be assigned to that module when it's loaded in somewhere else, such as within a require. Yeah, let me say, my entire understanding of how those things worked is, was completely off. Yeah. I did not understand that that's what was going on. Well, like, the, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, go ahead. Uh, so the gist of it is that you would use require for like your bootstrap code that you're using to to start up your page, whereas uh, define is almost all module code. Yeah. Interesting. So require, you bring in what you need to you, to start up the page or to start up the application and then everything that you're bringing in is in define. Yeah. I think that's one of the biggest things, biggest issues I had when I was first learning AMD is like, I'm using define everywhere. I feel like I should be using require more, but you really, if you're doing like a single page application, you can get away with just a single require call. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess my way, I got, I was coming to it thinking of like, well, require is kind of like a PHP require, right? Like I uh, require this, give me that. Um, and then I was like, okay, so then I guess define would be like when you're making your own thing, right? So you're, you just define this thing I'm making. And I didn't understand that first parameter because it's optional. And like, I thought, well, is it a name that I need to put in about what this is? Um, you know, but then I was like, well, it's not getting used anywhere. Like I just did not understand that I didn't. And what's funny is like, I say that I didn't understand, but like I've used pieces of these things before the proper way, but it's usually stuff that you guys have written that I'm like just copying into my thing that I'm working on that's going to be thrown away. So I never really think critically about what it's doing. It's kind of like you guys set up all the boilerplate for stuff and I just like rip off the boilerplate and start using it without thinking about why it's doing what it is. Um, and so that when I started to do something, I'm like, well, let me, how would I do this? It's like, well, I've seen these patterns before, but I don't understand what they're doing. <laughs> so I think that's it's good to, to kind of have a better understanding of that. And I just, I kind of wonder if there's maybe one of for our next, uh, our next show we should, or maybe in the show nights, if there's a, a good explanation anywhere of these things. Cause it feels like I went to like a, a few different places that were supposed to teach you. This is how you get started with this, but none of them really explained yep. very well what those things actually were. And so it was very, like I, I read them and each one I read gave me a different conclusion about what it was that, yeah, I, that it was doing. It's, it's glossed over a lot. Yeah. So if, if we have a source, it'd be great. We can put it on in the show notes. If not, I think that'd be a good thing to have a blog about. Um, yeah. Because I felt like it's something that a lot of people definitely know that they need, but there's probably a lot of people who are like me who are just like, you know, they, they're more of a, I get stuff done than a, I understand everything about everything like you guys yep. do. Um, and so that might be valuable for them um, to I'm a just get myself. stuff done kind of guy. 
Yeah, but you actually know how stuff works. Yeah. <laughs> but like, it's osmosis, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's definitely, there's people at Saipan who just, like, they know they can recite the spec and, like, what the spec's supposed to do and, like, how it works. And I'm just like, I just know that I do this. Like, I didn't know all that other stuff. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I just need to get this done. So I'm just going to do that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's good to have those people around to, to get answers from, like, you guys who I can just pop into i'm so spoiled because i can just pop into like a chat room and ask you guys a question and you can't do anything about it you have to answer me that is really nice um so that's nice okay so i think that'll uh, wrap up the show um thank you guys both for for coming out and uh we're gonna try to do a show at least every two weeks but it might turn to weekly but i just gotta iron out some things about how i want to do it um the editing went really fast last time, which was really good because I was okay. expecting it to take hours and hours and it took me about 20 minutes. So hopefully with the new microphone that I got and this better setup, it'll be even easier. So cool. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. I'll count to get you started. One, two, three, four. Good thing going on. Bye, bye, bye.